Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Um, well, the series we're kicking off today, um, we're calling Poetic. And because as we look through the scriptures, um, the best way for us to understand God, a God who exceeds our human capacity to understand. He's just bigger than we can wrap our minds around. But that doesn't mean we, we're not called to know him. Just because he is not fully knowable, we just can't fully comprehend his goodness, it doesn't mean that we can't taste and see that the Lord actually is good. And so that is one of the beautiful things of a relationship with God is we don't go through and learn our ABCs about God and then all of a sudden have this understanding of God in our front pocket and kind of the rest of it turns into this kind of boring, repetitive life of going to church and trying to be nice to people. I mean, it's, it, that's not what this should be. Our personal relationship with God should be one of the most exciting ex- explorations of who he is. And in that, since we're made in his image, understanding a little bit more of what we're supposed to look like, of, of what the work he's doing in our lives. And, but we're, we're stuck with this conundrum, okay, that here's this God who exceeds our ability to completely understand, and then we have our own sets of parameters of how we, how we get things, how we understand things. And God so wants to reveal himself. He meets us and connects with us in ways with which we can begin to understand who he is. And with that, that's what we're going to begin to explore, especially in the way of how it is written about God. Because God is not only discovered in the written word, but everything that is discoverable about God is confirmed in the written word. And so with that, then we're going to see how God's nature and his heart is revealed in a way our human minds can connect with it through the written word, and a lot of that is through the use of poetic device, and we're going to begin to explore that. So if you've got your notes, if you've got your, um, your app open, however you're going to track with us, then this is our main idea is that God uses the things we see and know to help us to understand him, even though God is bigger and more powerful than the things we can see and know. Romans 1.20 says, for since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. If just for a second we kind of pull off of ourselves and release the idea that we fully understand every experience we've ever had, that we fully grasp the consequences and causation of everything that's ever taken place in our lives, and go ahead and put a little bit of humility into our own space and our own thoughts, then we can kind of pause and begin to think, wow, about creation, about 
about a lot of these different things and begin to go, you know what? There's bound to be a God out there. There's bound to be a God. There's bound to be this place where God has done something. And if God exists, then he would want to be known. And his invisible qualities, the scriptures tell us, Romans tells us, is that they can begin to be seen by by what has been made. And, of course, we understand that with, you know, there are certain things that we see about God that are just developed in nature. I mean, you know, we see that, you know, there's the, the tide goes in and the tide goes out. And there's this constancy, the, the changings of the seasons. And if there's anything we're putting our faith in right now, it's that the seasons will change Bless God. It will not be 139 degrees forever. And so it, at some point, um, we're going to need to put a jacket on. And some of you are wanting to put a jacket on right now because it's a little crispy in this room. But don't whine because it's going to be 102 today. And you're going to go, I wish I was in church with all that nice air conditioning. And so uh, just getting you to appreciate the heat outside. But, but there's this space where some of the consistency of God begins to, to be revealed and some of these things we understand. But God's not just consistent. God is not just, we see some consistency in the rising of the sun and the setting. In fact, there are scriptures that reference some of those things and tie some of those spaces into God. But he's not just that. So as we begin to look in some of the metaphors of God, I do want us to begin to expand maybe even our theological framework for seeing things because so many times we so want to narrow things down into little easy to understand things that we'll begin to maybe put God in too small of a box. We begin to all of a sudden get a hold of one truth and think God is simply that truth. And, you know, if you remember having um, the little uh, play set you know, as a kid, or you're, maybe you don't remember it as a kid, but you remember it as a parent. And, you know, you have the, that, that weird little thing that has all the shapes, and you got to put the little shapes inside of the box. And, and inside of there, there's always a cylinder, okay? There's always a cylinder. And if you were to sit there and to take a cylinder and you were to hold it up and hold it up with some tongs and, and to shine a flashlight on it, um, it depends on how you hold it of how that cylinder is going to create a shadow. And so I got a little picture to show you right here because this, I think, is going to help us have the right mindset for what our framework of receiving these metaphors is like. And somebody's going to put it on the screen in just a second. There we go. So here we have, we have our cylinder. And of course, you shine the light from one angle, and all of a sudden, we see that it's revealed that it is a circle, that this shape is a circle. And the fact that part of that is a circle is true. It's true. As we get into these metaphors, each one of them will be true. But to get the full picture, we've got to begin to stitch all of them together because we shine the light from another angle, and all of a sudden you go, no, um, it's a square, 
And if somebody only sees it from one angle, then all of a sudden you say, no, this, this object, it is clearly a square. I've seen a square. I know what a square looks like. The thing's a square. I've seen its shadow. I've seen how it impacts as it moves through space. It is obviously a square. Or, no, it's, I've seen it. It's, it's a circle. I know what a circle looks like. There are no sides. Squares have sides. This literally has no sides. But the truth exists is when you be, are able to put together both of those things. And as we begin to move through this, we begin to see that, these, that each of these metaphors that the scriptures use are used to help us understand an aspect of God. But it does not begin to limit the rest of who God is. And sadly, Christian tradition throughout the last few millennia um, has liked to do that. We like to say we're the church of the square God. We're the church of the circle God. And we have our scriptures and we have our things and we've had our experience and we've seen our shadows and we know we're right. And like, no, you're a bunch of heretics. It is obviously a circle. God's a circle Get out of here. We're going to burn you at the stake if it was a thousand years ago. And sadly, we begin to get a, we can very quickly begin to get a hold of a truth or two and feel like we've got the whole truth. So here is what I want to dare you to do. I want to dare, no matter how long you've walked with God, I want to dare you to believe there's more to learn about God than you, than you know that he is bigger than you know, that there's some attributes of God that you have yet to be revealed, that everything about God doesn't fit neatly in all the truths you do currently know about God. And finding out something new about God doesn't discount what has already been established. And so as we do that, you know, we obviously had that physical thing, but with, the, with, with word, with, with Scripture, well, then how do we begin to do that? Well, Scripture uses metaphor. Scripture uses poetry. Scripture uses these things to, to connect. And you and I, we do it all the time. We do it all the time. We do it, it, you know, whether it's something as beautiful as Shakespearean poetry that is just full of metaphor or just our slang language. I mean, right now, some we, we, the, a slang word, a metaphor that's being used for people all the time is the metaphor of thirsty. Somebody posts a picture that is obviously wanting to get some attention. They're like, man, that person's thirsty. They're wanting some attention. Well, when we say that person is thirsty, we don't look at that picture and go, man, they are dehydrated. Somebody get them a bottle of water. I feel so bad for them. They, 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 maybe they need an IV or something. They're just depleted. No, we know, well, that's not what that means. When we say they're thirsty, we don't mean they actually need a bottle of water. Um, some of those thirsty people don't need something else to drink. That is not what they need. They should have stopped drinking. That's why that picture ended up up there. And so what? Well, there's a space where thirsty, it's a metaphor. It helps us to understand this thing. Or we see somebody begin to step in and, and do something new and begin to do it with confidence. And then we begin to use a simile 
which is a type of metaphor saying like or as. And, man, somebody does it with confidence, and they do it strongly. Say, man, they, that person, would, they did that like a boss. Well, okay. Would that mean that they actually were the person in charge, that there was this, somehow this boss figure, they actually had a little, little name tag and put them in charge, they're the general manager of something? No. It, we understand somebody does something like a boss, and they did it with authority, they did it like they've done it before, they did it like they could teach you how to do it. That we, we understand that. We use it all the time. We use metaphor all the time. And, and so we see that. One of Cutie and I's favorite, uh, favorite movies is uh, we like the movie You've Got Mail. And so, it's, uh, yes, I'm allowed to have a favorite chick flick. And I still have my man card. Thank you very much. And uh, it's my favorite chick, that's my favorite chick flick is uh, You've Got Mail. And in it, uh, the, uh, the uh, heroine of the story, uh, Kathleen Kelly, um, is trying to defend her little shop around the corner, her little bookstore from the big bad Fox books uh, who's come in and will eventually shut her down and her then boyfriend at the moment begins to describe as she is going up against this thing and he says, you, Kathleen, are a lone reed. You're a lone reed, standing tall, waving boldly in the corrupt sands of commerce. She says, I am a lone reed. Well, we get what that means. Again, it's imagery. It's imagery to help understand what she was dealing with, what, expressing the reality of her situation. It was poetic, but we immediately begin to get the picture. It's not that she is a plant. It's expressive of what she's dealing with and going on. And in, in fact, whenever I was in college, I was in, uh, at ASU, had a, part of my English class, we were in English in writing and composition and so, and I had to write something. Well, um, I, we were, I was about to be married to Cutie. We were uh, just uh, months away from getting married. Um, in fact, funny enough, when we met, we were months away from getting married. I uh, didn't know that the moment we met, but so we were always months away from getting married. And so, but we were, I was here at ASU and I had to write something and, and, uh, it was the fall break, and I was working for Olive's Nursery, and I was having to plant flowers. And, and so when I decided I'm going to write this, this, this little essay, this little poem about my soon-to-be wife. And, and I said that my, my, and the title of it is, My Woman is a Pansy. And meaning, the flower, the pansy. Because a lot of things is we say somebody's a pansy and, and the, that old expression is this weak, limited thing. But the truth was is during the harsh conditions of the winter, all of the stuff that showed its color with some spring rains and some summer sunshine had already wilted. And what, got, what we plant around here that can handle the wind and the snow and the ice and still bring beauty is the pansy. The pansy's no pansy. Pansy's strong. The pansy brings beauty in place where beauty it doesn't isn't easily found. And I wanted to communicate that about cutie. And so and, and so I write that. And God wants us to understand him. And as we get into I know I'm belaboring this point, but please understand we can so begin to take scripture 
and begin to just call it scripture and forget that that's God saying, I want you to know me. We forget that that's what it is. It's God saying, I want you to know me. And as we get into this, let's make sure we understand that we're taking this in, that God's using these metaphors and this stuff to say, I want you to know me. And there's a few places where we know we don't take the full thing literally. We know it's metaphor. Let's look real quickly at Luke chapter 13, verse 34, and where we see that Jesus is saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how Often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Okay, it's not all of a sudden we get this picture that God's a galactic chicken that's just sit there and has feathers and scratches in the sand. We, we look at this and we, our brains don't even go there. We get that it's, this is a picture that he wants to be this protective, this protective guardian that allows the, the, the little weak um, little chicks to be able to come in and be protected like a mother hen. We, we understand that. But for whatever reason, we don't always let the metaphor be the metaphor. One of those that we see again is in Isaiah chapter 42, 14. It says, for a long time I have held my peace. I have kept still and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. That God uses this expression that every family throughout existence understands of what happens when there's a woman in labor. That there is something that is exciting and something that is going to be birthed and brought about, but there is some pain in the process. Is God saying that he's a pregnant woman? No. But he's wanting us to communicate. So as we look at this, we're now today, I want us to quickly look at this idea of God as our rock. See, God is our rock and he is our foundation for life. Um, Sam, I mean, uh, Psalms 18.2. And here we're just going to get this, this just machine gun fire of, of metaphor, okay? God is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold here as the psalmist is writing, wanting us to understand that God is his safe place. He just keeps pouring out metaphors like one is not enough. You know why? Because one metaphor for God is not enough. He's too big. It it's encompasses too much. But here in this space, as the Holy Spirit is, is, is moving through the psalmist's pen, we get this just this litany of metaphor that begins to come through here. And, and, uh, and so as we, as we begin to look at the scriptures, um, we begin to see that this idea of rock, God is our rock, it shows up quite a few times. Um, the truth is, is that um, I can be redundant and then I can also repeat myself. And uh, thank you for some of y'all catching that. <laughs> I know it's the first. I don't try. To, didn't mean to be too witty on you this morning, early. 
Um, but the truth, I, I do that because anytime we begin to be repetitive, it's because there's something in us that wants to make sure these, this is communicated, okay? The scriptures over a hundred different times, over a hundred different times, is the metaphor of God as our rock, as a, as a stone, as, as something, something that is solid like that. Rock or stone metaphor shows up in the scriptures over a hundred different times. Do you think God is, is just, in the, in the, the Holy Spirit, just kind of not have any creativity and go, yeah, let's pull out the rock thing again. Hmm, haven't used it in a few verses. Let's say stone this time. Maybe they won't catch that we're just kind of being repetitive here. We're losing some creativity. No, Holy Spirit is infinitely creative. Why is God just over and over and over again wanting us to make sure we understand that he is our rock? Because the truth is, is you are building your life on something. You are. You're building your life on something, and God wants us to make sure we are conscious that we have to build our lives on him. That is the only sure foundation we can find in life, period. We see this in Psalm 95.1, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation, Everything we need for our life to be fully saved, for everything to be fully intact and preserved is found in him. You're not going to find it anywhere else. Psalm 19, 14, may these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The words in my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to my rock and my redeemer. What is so significant about the, the words in my mouth and the meditation of my heart? That's the stuff that you are prioritizing. The stuff you're talking about, the stuff you're meditating about, that's the stuff you're prioritizing. That's the stuff you by default feel like is important. That's the stuff you're building your life with. Words of your mouth, the meditation of your heart, let it be pleasing to my foundation. Let the stuff I'm building with, let the stuff I'm thinking about, let the stuff that I'm prioritizing fit well on my foundation. Isaiah 28, 16 says, so this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. What a beautiful thing. It doesn't say that hard things won't come. It's those hard things won't make you panic. They won't make you begin to lose your mind. It won't make all of a sudden begin to shift the words in your mouth and the meditations of your heart. That all of a sudden, simply because something went, is going sideways in life, that you've built on the cornerstone, the stuff still whirling around in your mind lines up with who, what you've built on. All of a sudden, panic happens in your mind, and as soon as it begins to happen in your mind, it very quickly begins to happen in your mouth. 
And God doesn't want us living from panic to panic, from freak out to freak out. And the only way to do that is to allow Jesus to be our cornerstone. See, the cornerstone, it's the foundation of the foundation. So you set the cornerstone first, and the cornerstone had to be precise. It was, the, it was what the master mason created and made sure everything was level in every direction. It was plumb. It was level. Everything was set, and they set the cornerstone. Why? Because everything else was built off the cornerstone. The wall line this direction came off the cornerstone. The wall line that direction came off the cornerstone. Everything going up came off the cornerstone. Every direction, how we're going to interact with God is determined by Jesus. How we're going to interact with one another is to be determined by Jesus. Everything. We cannot live our lives properly, not this way, not this way, without factoring in and building on Jesus. Jesus is that cornerstone. He is the foundation to the foundation. And if you started with a different foundation that we find we have to begin to to break some of those things up and allow our foundation to be rebuilt, to be realigned. So many times we come to life, come to God late in life, and we're like, oh, Jesus is wonderful. I'm now going to insert him into my building. He doesn't fit in your building. He is the foundation for your building. If you look up and things didn't align off of him, some things need to change. Some things need to shift. And that is where we're going to find real life. Psalm 118, verse 22 says, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Sadly, there are a lot of people who have rejected the cornerstone. You ever go and with somebody who kind of knows what they're doing and you go to the lumber yard with somebody who knows what they're doing in a lumber yard and they're going to begin to build, grab some two-by-fours, you know? You can tell somebody who doesn't know what they're doing because they just start grabbing two-by-fours. You know, see someone who knows what they're doing and they grab two-by-four and they look at it. And then they set that on the side and say, no, that, one, that one's crooked as a dog's leg. They always say that. Oh, it's crooked as a dog's leg. And so, and then, then you get the good, you get the straight ones. Why? Because you're going to be build. And if you don't have good straight lumber, all of a sudden you begin to put your drywall on there and you got a big hump. You're like, man, I feel bad for the mud man. <laughs> Tag, you're it, mud guy. And so, and, but we, you begin, they begin to pick. Here's the scripture shows that there are those who were intentional builders who go along, who grabbed some cornerstones, looked at Jesus and said, nope, I don't want that. I don't want that. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you've taken a previous glance at Jesus. You're like, well, no, I don't want that because... That means I'm going to have to be with this political party or I'm going to have to do this or I'm going to have to stop this or I'm going to have to align with this and I'm going to have to do this. And all of a sudden you have rejected some of the human parts of what you've seen fall under the realm of Christianity. But 
I want to encourage you today to take a good look at Jesus. Not a good look at American Christianity. I want you to take a good look at Jesus. Because I am confident, because guess what? If you're a Christian in sub-Saharan Africa, you can build your life on Jesus. If you're a Jesus in the, in the Arctic Circle, and, and if you believe in the Arctic Circle, you can build your life on Jesus. If you find yourself in, in one of the, the, the Slavic countries, you can build your life on Jesus. The real Jesus Christianity is not dependent upon life in America. It's not. It's, it's, it supersedes that. That's why it's a kingdom. And so if maybe if you've rejected American Christianity, okay, go ahead, fine. But I, please do not reject Jesus because I'm telling you, you can look at him and there's things that I'm telling you, yes, there will be some adjustments there, but Jesus is the only chief cornerstone. And as we begin to look at this idea of repetition, um, we get into the New Testament, and there's some of these Old Testament scriptures that, that get repeated a number of times. Um, Leviticus 18:19, um, which tells us to love our neighbor, it's the most repeated uh, Old Testament scripture found in the New Testament. You find that one, love your neighbor, 10 times in the New Testament. I think it kind of gets repeated because you and I are not very good at loving our neighbors most of the time. We need to be reminded that it needs to be pulled forward. The, the next set of scriptures that begin to be repeated the most, it's, and it, it drops from 10 down to 6, and there's just a few of them, and one of them is Daniel 7.13, which, which reminds us that it is prophesied about Jesus coming on the clouds and coming back. It's repeated six times in the New Testament. I, I'm thankful that, that the scriptures remind us Jesus is coming back. Aren't you glad Jesus is coming back? A little hope? I'm, I'm, I'm excited that that is carried forward. And, and then Psalm 1101, that, that where, it's, where it's prophesied that Jesus' enemies would be made a footstool for his feet, that Jesus will completely win. Jesus has completely won. You and I need to be reminded that Jesus has completely won. It shows up six times. But the third scripture that shows up six times it's this the stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone why does that one show up just as much as loving your neighbor Jesus completely wins and Jesus is coming back because you and I are building our lives and we need to not think that it's beyond us to have somehow in certain spaces rejected Jesus as our cornerstone. We can easily say, you know what? I love the way you line up with the Father. I'm gonna take that part of Jesus. I don't like the responsibilities that gives me to the people that irritate me. Mm. I feel justified in pushing them aside. I feel justified in that. You've not fully embraced Jesus as your cornerstone. You look over there and you're like, yeah, he's, he's, he's in my base. But you've not embraced him it's cornerstone. This is repeated to us, New Testament believers, not so that we can shake our heads at everybody who's rejected our Jesus, but to make sure there's not a single facet of our cornerstone we've rejected. It reminds us over and over, keep coming back to the base. Keep coming back to Jesus as our chief cornerstone. Matthew 21, 
42, it says, And Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus reminds us of that space. And, and then as, as Peter is being given a hard time for a miracle, a lame man is raised. He reminds him, he says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected which has become the cornerstone. It keeps showing up over and over and over again. And so if we're going to build our life on Jesus, we've, we've embraced this metaphor that he's our rock, he's our, he's our cornerstone. And, and building on Jesus as our foundation makes all the difference. So how do we build? How do we do that? How do we build on Jesus? It sounds all fine and good and like a real, spirit, real spiritual significance. How do we do it? Let's look. Jesus tells us how to do it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. It says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Here we go. We see this is how it begins to do. We hear his words and align ourselves with it, begin to put them into practice. And look what happens. Builds his house on the rock. Look what happens. The rain came down. The streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house. You, want, you know what? Let's just be honest. Let's just be honest. We want this scripture to read differently. We want it to read differently. We want it to read, you build your house upon the rock. And when it rained, it was just gentle and watered your gardens. The winds never blew. The streams never rose. Things never beat against it. That's what we want it to read. I know it's the truth because you and I go, man, I've been, I've been purposing to serve God. Why is this attack come against me? Because the attacks come. We live in a fallen world. We have a real enemy who hates us there's it happens in life we're not following Jesus so that all of a sudden we can just make sure that nothing ever comes against us no the truth is is this world brings stuff against us so we build our life on Jesus so that we don't have to panic when it comes we don't have to panic so see look what happens that beat against the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Why on earth would somebody build their house on the sand? I can tell you this. Who don't want a house on the beach? Come on now. Sounds good. Man, they'll just sit there and come out my front door. Don't even have to put my shoes on. And I wear my shoes all the time. But this sand is soft. And I go get in the water and it feels nice. And, and, and you know, and the, there's always somebody trying to take care of your needs. They're on the beach and they're going to talk to you. And, man, this is just the sunsets from the beach. Oh, just love the beach. I'm going to build my house right here. Here's the problem. A lot of times, everything we think we want sets us up for the problems we don't want. 
all of a sudden trying to put together the life we think is going to be perfect puts us in peril. It puts us in a place of danger. We actually need to go, you know what? This beach is beautiful, but you know where I'm going to live? I'm going to live up there on the rock. I'm going to live up there because you know what? I know it's not beautiful every day. I know it's not beautiful every day. I know that the, the tropical storms come in. I know the rains come in. I know seasonally the hurricanes come in. And so I'm going to be built up on the rock. Because guess what? The guy on the pretty day says, you know what? I don't need no rock. Why would I need a rock? Look at this. It's been beautiful for like three weeks in a row. I don't need a rock. I'm going to enjoy the beach. I'm going to enjoy the sand. He's a fool. The foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew. Exact same scenario. One's happening up here. One's happening in the same storms. One is in there sipping some coffee going, whoo, this is a doozy. Glad I'm on the rock. I see that joker down there. That house ain't going to make it. And all of a sudden, the streams beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished this saying, the crowds were amazed at his teachings because he taught them as one with authority and not as their teachers of the law. How do we build our lives on Jesus? How do we build our lives on the rock? We do what he says. We do what he says. Bottom line, Jesus is our firm foundation. He's the only one of which will stand through the weather and allow us to live a life that's not consumed with panic. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.